I bet most of us, if not all of us, enjoy reading good biographies. Uh, we read biographies to be inspired. We read biographies to be informed. And we read biographies to be, uh, to be challenged, I suppose. And if you think about it, biographies are necessarily written either after the person is done living or is very at the uh, end of his life. Because, of course, how could you fill up a biography until that person has lived his life and when the greatest deeds of their lives are behind them? So biographies are usually written, I think always written, at the end of one person's life after their greatest deeds have been accomplished. What's really interesting about this passage is that this passage is actually a biography. But it is a biography not written after the person's life, not in view of the great things that have been accomplished, but it is a biography written prophetically before, before the life was lived and before the great things were accomplished in order to show us the manner of the life that is going to be lived. And this biography is a biography of the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. Now, obviously, the question to always ask whenever we read Scripture is, who is speaking here and why? Well, the why is verse 22 of the last chapter. Remember verse 22 of chapter 48 it ended on a very somber and a dark note. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Now, that is a problem. Because if there is no peace for the wicked sinners, what hope do we have? And so chapter 49 comes as a response to that very serious statement and who is it that is speaking here? Look at the Lord calling him from the womb. So that's verse 1. The Lord called him from the womb. And then the Lord said to him, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. And then verse 3. The person that is speaking is the one that the Lord raises up uh, so that the, he will raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. And the one who is speaking in this passage is the one that the Lord has called to be a light for the nations, that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that's verse 6. And when you put all these data together, you realize that there is not one person except Jesus who fits the description. So who is it that is speaking in this passage? Who says uh, in verse 1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. It is Jesus. It is Jesus commanding the whole world to listen Give attention, you peoples, from afar. Well, listen to what? So the Lord Jesus says, The Lord called me 
from the womb and from the body of my mother, he named my name. Now, obviously, the full implications of this statement uh, are spelled out in the New Testament. And we know that uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God who existed from all eternity, became man through the virgin conception and birth uh, through Mary. And what this statement tells us is this person that the Lord calls my servant, this person, this Christ, whom the Lord called from the womb, is that this Virgin Mary, when she conceived and when Jesus was being formed in her womb by the Holy Spirit and when God named him, it was God calling Jesus into service. God formed Jesus in the womb of his Mary in order that he may be a servant. And we must not miss the significance of Jesus' calling as a servant because all the misery of the world began when Adam and Eve, they were not content to be the Lord's blessed and honored servants, and they craved for more. You remember how blessed they were, how singularly cherished they were by God. They were honored And yet they were not content, and they craved for more, and they listened to the lies of the serpent. We read in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says, well, did God really say you must never touch the fruit? Well, the Lord said, Eve answered, we must never touch it. And the serpent says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You know what the serpent is telling Eve and through Eve to Adam? This is what the serpent is saying. That God, what a selfish tyrant he is. Do you see how how he's keeping all the good things all to himself and you get nothing? He's oppressing you as a slave. Why serve him when you can be like God. And that is the source of world's misery, isn't it? These two honored and blessed people, loved and cherished by God. And you know, there is no shame in service if you serve a great master. In fact, a servant of a great master has greater honor than a terrible nobleman or terrible master. There was absolutely no shame in being the servants of a great God, but honor. And yet they weren't content and they refused to serve him. They wanted to be like God. And do you see how when God ordains his son Jesus and calls him into service, And when Jesus becomes the willing and glad servant of the Lord, Jesus is addressing the very root cause of the world's misery, and he is dealing 
with Adam's failures. That's the first significance of God appointing his son to be a servant. Those who, by nature and design, were created to be servants, blessed and honored servants, they rejected that servanthood. They strived to be like God. But the one who, by nature and by right, is the sovereign God himself, he, Jesus, he became the glad and the willing servant. And in Jesus Christ, we have a complete reversal of Adam's failures. But there is a second significance of the Lord calling Jesus to be a servant. And and it is this. You remember how the nation, nation of Israel, uh, received the name Israel after Jacob, the patriarch Jacob. And the reason the nation was named after Jacob, whom God renamed as Israel, was so that the whole nation might live by faith as Abraham, as Isaac, and as Jacob had done before them. But you remember from chapter 48, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Lord said of the nation. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, but not in truth or right. You see, God formed them a nation, and God gave them an exalted name after one of the patriarchs so that the 12 tribes of Israel might live with the same faith and covenant faithfulness as Abraham had done, as Isaac had done, as Jacob had done. But by this time, although they continued to call themselves Israel, God tells them, not in truth or right. You are merely pretenders. There is no sincerity in you. There is no genuineness in your faith. That is to say, at this time, the nation no longer lived in covenant faithfulness to God and therefore no longer deserved the name of Israel. But does that mean that God's purposes have failed? By no means. God has prepared a truly worthy servant to redress the failures of the nation. And this truly worthy servant is going to receive the title Israel. And you see, Jesus was appointed and called to be a servant in order that he may be the true Israel that the nation failed to be. And in Jesus, the true Israel, we see a faithful servant who brings honor to God. The the way that the nation was called to do, but failed, Jesus becomes a true Israel. And the way that the nation was appointed and called to be a light to the nations, but failed to do, Jesus is appointed the faithful servant. He becomes the true Israel. And he becomes a light to the nations. And through Jesus, all nations come to find the Lord's salvation. So that is the servant of the Lord. The omnipotent, sovereign God who by right was entitled to the service of all mankind. But he became a servant. 
a glad and a willing servant, in order to redress the failings of Adam, in order to redress the failings of Israel. And the second thing we learn from this biography is that Jesus serves weary people. Jesus serves weary people. I do not need to tell you that there are so many, many so-called gods. During the New Testament times, uh, they had to deal with the, 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 the gods of Greek mythology, Zeus, Apollos. During the Old Testament times, uh, it was gods like Marduk, Tiamat, or Baal, the gods of the ancient Near East. And of course, every culture in every age have had their own so-called gods, all different and yet sharing one thing in common. These all so-called gods, every single one of them, without exception, play the tyrant over man. Every single one of them, without exception, demanded service. And every single one of them, without exception, were so petty and selfish that it was the bane of their worshipers. And against all these so-called gods of the world, the God of the Bible is utterly unique because it is the God of the Bible and He alone who, when He comes to mankind, He comes not as a tyrant, but He comes as a servant. Name one so-called gods of the world who came to mankind as a servant. Every so-called God were happy and glad to play the tyrant. Only Jesus came to mankind as a servant. That is to say, Jesus came not only to serve the Lord, but he came also to serve sinners. And Jesus serves us. Jesus serves us with God's word. Look at verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. He made me a polished arrow. A sharp sword is for close combat. And in those days, arrow shafts were polished in order to reduce aerodynamic drag. And unless the shaft was polished, the arrow once shot would would not fly in a straight line. So you, you would polish the shaft of an arrow to make it useful from a distant attack. And it's interesting, isn't it? He made my mouth like a sharp sword. He made me a polished arrow. In other words, what comes out of Jesus' mouth is effective for both close combat and for distant attack. That is to say, Jesus' ministry of the word, what comes out of his mouth, that ministry. Now, by the way, think about the word ministry. We use the word so much that we sometimes forget what the word actually means. The word ministry means service, isn't it? Jesus' service of God's word, 
His word is effective for all our needs and situations. And you realize how superior is Jesus compared to the deaf and mute idols of the world. Our idols, the schemes and policies that we have dreamt up in order to ease our anxious minds, because they are created by man, according to man's imagination, our idols are no more wiser than their creators. And because they are created by man's imagination, our idols, whether it be an actual idol made of wood or stone or some philosophical scheme or policies, our idols, the things that we create to ease our anxious minds, they are burdened with the same blind spots of their creators. In other words, we invest so much in our idols to ease our conscience, ease our anxious minds, and we look to them in our hour of need, but you know, they just can't help us because they are exactly the product of our imagination and they are no wiser than us and they have the same blind spots and weaknesses as we do. But Jesus, he who is God from all eternity, he who was born as a servant of the Lord to bring to us God's word in truth and in faithfulness, from his mouth comes strength and resources, light and wisdom that, that sufficiently meet all our needs. And Jesus is able to deal with all our needs. And that is how Jesus serves weary people through the ministry of God's word. Isn't it true that sometimes, and this is very sad, Sometimes we think uh, about learning from Jesus as if it were a burden. As if a tyrant is imposing his will on us. Have you been listening to the serpent too? You see, Jesus is not a tyrant. And he is not oppressing us with his selfish and petty whims. Rather, what comes out of Jesus' mouth, his word gives us life. His word gives us light and wisdom. And we need that, don't we? Because our lives are incredibly complex. And our needs are so many. And trying to face life only with our strength and with only our wisdom is as foolish as it is exhausting. And because our lives are complex and because our needs are many, we desperately need a power and resource that can only come from Jesus' mouth. And so, loved ones, please don't think of learning from Jesus as a burden that bends your backs but rather think of learning from Jesus' mouth as, as a solid rock upon which we are enabled to stand up straight. That's what the power and the resource 
from Jesus' mouth enable us to do. So Jesus, he serves weary people. He serves the weary people with the word of God. And thirdly and finally, Jesus serves discouraged people. Jesus serves discouraged people. If you look at verse 4, you realize that Jesus' ministry had a dark side. In verse 4, the servant of the Lord, whom we know to be Jesus Christ, he says, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. It almost shocks us because it makes us really uncomfortable to hear that Jesus could ever think that way about his ministry. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. It makes us really uncomfortable. Is that really how Jesus thought about us? That he was wasting his efforts on us? That he was all for nothing? Well, the answer to that is actually really easy to see because during his ministry, Jesus did all he could. He spared no effort, and he poured his heart and love into his ministry. And yet, we can clearly see in the New Testament that for all of that, Jesus faced constant rejection and unbelief. And we see how his disciples and friends frequently broke his heart. So Luke chapter 9, this is where the disciples prove powerless, unable to help uh, a man in need. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that those who were closest to Jesus didn't get him at all. So Mark chapter 8, verse 21, he asked his disciples, Do you not yet understand? I've been with you all this time, and I've been teaching you all this time. You still don't get it. That is to say, Jesus' ministry was not an easy ministry. And the people that he was ministering to were not an easy people to minister to. There were many moments in Jesus' ministry when his efforts seemed wasted. And because his ministry was so difficult, lesser men would have given up. But even though Jesus' ministry was filled with difficult moments, difficult experiences, Jesus did not give up, even when his ministry was hard and discouraging. And that's exactly where he differs from Adam and Israel. Adam and Eve, at the first temptation they faced, they rejected servanthood. And Israel, when serving the Lord proved inconvenient and difficult, they turned their backs on God. But Jesus, he persevered in faithfulness. And we need to understand that Jesus did not come into a pristine world free from sin's misery. 
Rather, he came into a world that was groaning under sin. And he came into circumstances that often hid God's presence and grace. And he came into a world where to walk by sight would mislead him. And he also had to walk by faith. And Jesus did. So in verse 4, he says, I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, meaning he's met many difficulties in his ministry, and yet he goes on to say, yes, surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. You know what Jesus is saying? He is saying, Although my ministry seems fruitless and difficult and beyond every hope of bearing good fruit, only God can judge the true worth of my ministry and my labors, and he does. And so when Jesus, when he was faced with difficulties and challenges and discouragements, he did not swerve from serving the Lord And he did not swerve or turn from serving us when his labors seemed to bear no fruit. He knew that his part was to act faithfully and that only God can see the true value of his labors. And God did see the true value of his labors. And that is why Jesus is the way. He is the path forward for us when life discourages us. When our lifelong desires and projects seem to go nowhere and bear no fruit. The thing that you have given your youth and your energy, your time, seem to bring no result that you have desired. When believing parents who have labored for years for their children to raise them up in the Lord, and when they see their children go wayward, when lifelong besetting sins cause us to despair, Jesus then serves you with his faithfulness. Because he, Jesus, persevered through discouragement, And because he persevered through difficulties, discouragements, and seeming fruitlessness of it all, seeming vanity of it all, he knows your heartache when you are discouraged. And he comes near you. And because Jesus never turned from carrying our burdens, even when he was a frail man of suffering, You just have to know this, don't you? Now now that he is exalted in glory with power, do you now think that Jesus will now turn from carrying your burdens? Jesus did not turn. He did not give up. When he was a man of sorrows, when he was beset with weaknesses and temptations and trials, even then he did not turn from carrying our burdens. And now that he is exalted at God's God's right hand with glory and power, 
Do you really think that Jesus is going to turn from you and, and refuse to carry your burdens? No matter how great our struggle, no matter how great our discouragement, Jesus is a greater Savior. And so we, you, you and I, we also can say with Jesus, yes, surely my right is with the Lord. Meaning, surely God truly sees the, the efforts of my lives. The, truly God sees the true worth and value of all that I have done. Truly he sees my burdens. Truly he sees my heart. Surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Life is complex. Our needs are many. There are many discouragements. Would you cast your cares upon God? And you will say with Jesus and because of Jesus, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This is his biography, the servant of the Lord, the servant who serves weary people, the servant who serves discouraged people. And with Jesus, because of Jesus, we say, my God has become my strength. Amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, who, being the Lord of glory, yet became our servant. And with gladness and willingness and with joy, he became a servant to do your will and to rescue us. And he became a servant and he remained faithful that he may have mercy and grace for us when we are discouraged, when we are exhausted, and when we are tired. And so we look to the Lord Jesus and we ask for his help. Father, there are many in this room who are broken, who are tired, who are discouraged. Oh God, would you help them? Would you strengthen them? And may they see in your Son hope and strength. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.